It is Sunday, October 31st, 2010, and welcome to the special Halloween episode of U62 The Targ. <laughs> Start the music! As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. Alright, here it comes. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Why, what a little tiny microchip deep inside some electronics. Broadcasting to the world through the miracle of the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is U62 The Tar. Now your host, a man with a lifelong dream of getting paid to do this, Mark Pappas. On this week's show, I'm reflecting on some fond Halloween memories. It's episode 4.06, Ghost of Halloween's Past. So sit back, relax, grab yourself some warm root beer and a towel that's oh so fluffy. You 62 the tar, you're in for something special. Enjoy the show. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of U62 The Targ. I am Mark Kappas. Welcome to this week's show. This is, of course, my special Halloween show. And who knows, we just might even have a few trick-or-treaters stopping by. In fact, it sounds like there's some here now. Why, hello there. Oh, such adorable costumes. Here we have a fairy princess in a parka. There's some candy for you. Ooh, there we have a Jedi Knight in his Arctic survival gear. Here's some candy for you. And uh, what are you supposed to be? You're the ghost of jokes from Podcast Past? I don't get it. You're telling me I did this joke on last week's Halloween show. You're telling me I did this joke on last year's Halloween show. Eh, here's your Kit Kat, you smart ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what can I say? It's a good joke, so of course I'm going to repeat it every now and again. Uh, but yeah, as I was getting ready to do this Halloween show, I was conversing with one of my friends, and he was like, Ooh, I would love to hear stories of your Halloween as you were a kid, you know, what Halloween was like for you just growing up, and what you were doing for Halloween when you were a kid, and like, eh, I don't know. Halloween for me was fairly typical. You know, my friend was saying, Ooh, I want to hear about the most embarrassing costume you ever had. Well, I really didn't have any embarrassing costumes, you know. I had the fairly typical ones. You know, the very first Halloween costume I ever remember wearing was in kindergarten. I was Darth Vader. It was one of those store-bought Halloween costumes, you know, the plastic kinds, and I was Darth Vader. Uh, next year, grade one, I was Luke Skywalker, ironically enough. The father becomes the son, and the son becomes the father, or something like that. But yeah, I remember a couple of years there, I went as a robot. A robot costume was really easy to make, you know. You just get a cardboard box, and with some creative decorating, I had a couple of reel-to-reel tapes on the front, or at least my renderings of some. Probably put it in a kind of a wrong place, because it kind of looked like boobs. But, um, oh well, you live, you learn. There was one year I went as a Ghostbuster. Uh, you know, a Ghostbuster costume was really easy to make. I just threw on a pair of overalls because, you know, that's what they all wore when they're out ghostbusting. And then I put a Wayjax on my back. Uh, my father was with the Volunteer Fire Department. And for those who don't know, a Wayjax is a tool used for fighting 
grass fires. It's essentially a giant super soaker. You got the backpack full of water, and then you have the little syringe type thing that you use to squirt water on the grass fires. It's called a Wayjax because it's made by the Wayjax Corporation, and it has Wayjax written right across the back. But yeah, how how old was I when I stopped uh, wearing costumes and going trick-or-treating? I don't know, I guess I had to be in about uh, 12 or 13 years old. So yeah, grade 7 or so. And it wasn't, you know, any big motivating thing in my life. It wasn't like my parents were saying, You're too old now, I forbid you to do it. I was just like, Halloween's rolling around and I was like, Meh, I'm too old for this. I don't want to do this anymore. And so the last year I went out trick-or-treating, I decided I'm going neo-traditional, I'm going to be a ghost. I just cut some eye holes in a sheet and went out like that. So yeah, it's pretty much uh, Halloween when I was a kid there in Entwistle until I got to high school. In high school, things changed. I'll get to that after the first song of the show. I decided to skip uh, doing Too Hot for Radio this week to t- so I could play more Halloween songs because, as I've always said, Halloween is the only time I can get away with playing songs from the Nightmare Before Christmas. So here's This Is Halloween on the Targ.
Marilyn Manson covering This Is Halloween here on U62 The Targ. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Kapp is back here with you. And yeah, as I was talking about the Halloween experience when I was growing up, everything changed when I got to high school. Well, even the change in junior high when I stopped trick-or-treating, you know. My friend was asking, you know, I'd love to hear if uh, your house was ever vandalized. You know, was it ever egged? Did you ever have the pumpkin smashed against the side of your house? Yeah, my house got a lot of that in junior high. You know, they said it best in that classic play. Everything changes when the hormones kick in and you start growing hair down there. Uh, junior high came around, you know, that's when I started getting picked on a lot in high school. You know, I gotta say, I was never bullied or anything like that. I was never sent home with a black eye. Well, I was never bullied physically. I was just, you know, made fun of a lot, laughed at, taunted, uh, jokes made about me, and it hurt. It hurt a lot, and... Uh, it seemed to really manifest itself around Halloween. Halloween is when it would get physical because that's when my tormentors would actually make an effort to come out and egg my house. And it was just, I knew it was them because, you know, after they'd throw the eggs and my parents would go outside to see what just happened, you could see them, you know, hiding behind the fence, laughing at each other's, and they'd be making fun of me the next day. <laughs> hey, Campus, here your house got egged last night. Yeah, you did it, didn't you? What makes you think it was me? Because I saw you hiding behind the fence after you did it. Ha <laughs> ha, try to prove it in court. <laughs> Stupid shit like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, you... When stuff like that happens, you just learn to adjust, you know. The first year it happened, they smashed the jack-o'-lanterns against the side of our house. So, you know, at around 9, 9.30, when the trick-or-treaters died down, you blow out the candles and you take the pumpkins back inside so they can't do that. Then they just egg the house and... The egging got so bad, I guess I was about in grade 10 or so, I actually wanted to go on the roof with my brother's air rifle and take up a defensive perimeter and, you know, shoot at them when they came by to egg our house, but my parents wouldn't let me, so instead I just contented myself with uh, setting up a surveillance camera in our living room. They saw the surveillance camera, though, so they decided to hit us from the back. The only problem with that was our backyard is incredibly large, and their arms were too wimpy enough they couldn't actually hit our house. So, you know, we're just out there the next day. Oh, gee, look at all these eggs in the backyard. I guess the Easter Bunny came by. But, you know, it all kind of came to an end in grade 12, as all these things come to an end in that uh, year. And that's when uh, these uh, vandals were just, they did the stupidest thing ever. So there we are, it's Halloween night, it's around 10 o'clock when the vandalism starts, and we hear this thump thump on our front porch. And, you know, we look out the window, we see them hiding behind the fence with the eggs at the ready, waiting for us to come out and invest what was and investigate as to what happened. So, you know, we just kind of waited a few minutes for them to get bored and go away, and they went away. So we uh, went outside to see what the thump thump was, and... Um, they threw at us a gigantic plastic bag full of dog poop. Now, see, here's where the people I went to high school with were complete and utter idiots. Obviously, their grand plan was to throw it at our house and have it splatter and fly all over the place like a gigantic poop-filled water balloon, a poop balloon, if you will. Well, first up, as you probably know, Halloween 
in Alberta is very, very cold. It was like minus 10, so of course the poop had frozen solid. It didn't splatter anywhere. The second stupid thing was they chose a plastic bag that was incredibly thick, so of course it wouldn't splatter on impact. So there, I guess, when it just went thump, thump and hit our front door, I guess there are a lot of incredibly disappointed people in that crowd, and they were all just um, lying there at the fence with their eggs waiting for us so they could try and salvage that thing. So, yeah, it wasn't, uh, rather, we weren't, oh, man, there's poop all over the place. We just looked at the bag of poop, and we were like, well, this is disgusting, and we threw it away. So, yeah, my house was always vandalized when I was a kid. I've often felt that now that I'm a responsible adult of going back to Entwistle some night and uh, wreaking revenge, because, you know, the thing is, the people who always picked on me in high school, they never really amounted to anything. They are still there in Entwistle. Uh, they've shipped their parents off to the home and inherited their parents' house, so they are still in the homes they grew up in. And one of these Halloweens, I think I'm going to go back and I'm going to egg their houses. Because, as you know, they say revenge is a dish best served cold, and Halloween in Entwistle falls on a very cold night. What's wrong with society? I'm literally angry with rage. Time to tell you what's wrong with society this week because I tell you, there is just so much wrong with society and the only way we're going to fix it is by complaining about it to everyone who will listen. So I'll tell you what's wrong with society this week. Do you want to know what's wrong with society this week? They're putting the Christmas stuff on the shelves way too damn early. You know, there I was, the middle of September. I was out there grocery shopping, and I was already seeing eggnog in the dairy section of my grocery store. Eggnog in September. And then, you know, fast forward a month, middle of October. Already, you see, most of the major retailers, they're taking down all the Halloween decorations, they're putting it in the back room, and they're already hauling out the Christmas merchandise. I will never forget when I was working that hellish job at Extra Foods. There I was, exactly one week before Halloween. There was the store manager. Oh, what is all this Halloween stuff still doing out here? We gotta get the Christmas stuff out. One week before Halloween. Come on, people. Stop mixing the holidays like this. You're leading to some very confused children. So you want to know how we fix society this week? You want to know how we repair society's ills? It's all about supply and demand, people. If you want them to stop putting out the Christmas stuff in the middle of September, stop buying it in the middle of September. You know, I was complaining on the internet about the eggnog going out there in the middle of September, but there were some of my colleagues... Oh, yeah, right, man, eggnog, I love eggnog, I gotta run out and buy some today. No, it's behavior like that, why eggnog goes on store shelves in the middle of September, and next year it'll be on store shelves in the middle of August. Eggnog is not a refreshing summer beverage, it's a refreshing Christmas beverage. So there you go, do not buy any Christmas stuff until it's time. The retailers will get the message, and they will stop putting out the Christmas stuff in the middle of September. And that's what's wrong with society this week. What's wrong with society? Brought to you by Cranky Pants brand underwear. Cranky Pants, now 30% tighter in uncomfortable places. Everything's better with Mark Chappis. Crime has gone down, productivity is up, and ratings for Doctor Who are through the roof. Mark Chappis on U62, The Targ.
It's just not Halloween without Ghostbusters. And there's Ray Parker Jr. with Ghostbusters. Let's get the fishing in the discount bin, shall we? We should do a, an appropriate Halloween-y type movie. Fishing in the discount bin. All right, time for fishing in the discount bin because I have no social life and wind up spending every Friday night at home on the couch watching a DVD with Halloween upon us. And because I had my friend telling me it's time to do a Halloween episode of the podcast, I figured I should do a good Halloween movie for fishing in the discount bin. And what better Halloween movie than the modern day Disney classic, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I love this movie. I've been trying to start the completely made-up tradition of watching it on every Halloween, but something always gets in the way and I don't get to watch it. So I guess my made-up tradition has become putting off watching The Nightmare Before Christmas on Halloween. Like a lot of stories that I really, really love, I love the story of how it finally came to be on the big screen. 
As we all know, it's from the brain of the legendary director, Tim Burton. He originally hatched the idea when he was a kid. You know, like me, he was starting to complain about the Christmas stuff being put out way too early. And one day he saw the Christmas decorations next to the Halloween decorations, and that juxtaposition just triggered something in his mind. So he went home and he came up with this epic poem, an epic parody of The Night Before Christmas called The Nightmare Before Christmas. And you know, his family loved it, they hung it on the fridge and everything. You fast forward about 10 years or so, and now Tim Burton is this fresh-faced CalArts grad recruited by Disney to be part of the next generation of animators. When he was there, Burton pitched his childhood idea, The Nightmare Before Christmas, about turning that into an animated movie. They liked it, so Disney filed, bought it from him, and they filed it away in their vault. Never did anything with it. One or two late, one or two years later after that, we're looking at like 1982 or so here, Tim Burton found working at Disney to be quite a soul-crushing endeavor. So he quit and started making live-action movies. You know, he made Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands. With those four hits under his belt, Tim Burton was quickly declared Hollywood's new golden boy. So of course, Disney wanted him back. You know, when you start dating a much hotter chick and your old girlfriend wants you back, imagine Tim Burton is the dude, his hot new girlfriend is all the hit movies he made, and Disney is the ex that wanted him back. So Disney said, come on, make your next movie with us. Hey, remember that animated movie you sold to us about 10 years ago? We'll finally make that if you come back to us. So Tim Burton said, well, when you put it like that, I'll gladly come back to Disney. So while he was back at Disney, Tim Burton got to make Ed Wood, and Disney finally made The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton, however, was a little too busy to actually direct The Nightmare Before Christmas, so he turned the directorial reins over to his good friend and world-renowned stop-motion animator, Henry Selleck. But as the production started winding down, Disney started being faced with a dilemma. They started fearing that this tale of monsters doing their own take on Christmas would be too scary for children. So Disney started distancing them from the film, and they released it under their Touchstone Pictures label instead of Walt Disney Pictures. It's only in about the past five years or so that Disney has finally taken ownership and it's become a cult classic and stuff like that. So in case you've never had the pleasure, the plot is thus. The film posits that holidays are brought to us courtesy of these magical towns, where it's that holiday 365 days a year. Jack Skellington, the king of Halloween town, is in a bit of a funk though. After putting on Halloween year after year after year after year after year, he's starting to grow bored with it. While walking around, he eventually stumbles on the portal to Christmas Town. Jack becomes filled with the Christmas spirit and decides to attempt doing Christmas. He abducts Santa Claus and places him in the care of the villainous Oogie Boogie. Jack sets out on his sleigh to deliver his spookier version of Christmas to the world, but it's not well received and he's shot down. Jack, upset that he's ruined Christmas, soon realizes that he does a kick-ass Halloween. With his Halloween spirit restored, Jack rescues Santa from Oogie Boogie, saves Christmas, oh, and a lovely young ragdoll named Sally pines for Jack throughout the whole thing, and they finally get it on in the end. Nightmare Before Christmas hit theaters in October of 1993. I never got a chance to see it in theaters. I didn't get to see it until a year later when it finally came out on video. I ran down to my corner store and rented it, and uh, just, wow. First time I saw Nightmare Before Christmas, it blew my freaking mind. I must have watched it like five or six times before we had to take it back to the store. It's, I, I just couldn't describe it. I was 
fully sucked into this other world that the filmmakers had created. And the music. For months after I saw the film, the songs, they just weren't stuck in my head. The music haunted me. How can I describe this? We all know how music can stir intense emotions in people, right? Sad songs make you cry, happy songs make you laugh, so on, so on, so on. However, once we've heard that song a hundred times or so, we get desensitized and the emotions don't hit us as hard. But pretend that never happens. The emotion is always there as strong as the first time you heard the song. Now imagine that song is stuck in your head and you hear it over and over and over again in that emotional state, you're in a perpetual state of that emotion. That's what I mean by the music haunted me. That year for Christmas, I got my first CD player and Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack was the first CD I ever bought. When I got my DVD player in 2001, it was the first DVD I ever bought. Whenever I listen to the music for The Nightmare Before Christmas, I cry a little inside because that's where Danny Elfman peaked and he hasn't written anything that cool since. When I sat down to watch The Nightmare Before Christmas for this, it was the first time though that I actually watched it with a critical eye and some of the film's flaws were really glaring. Even though it's a very short 75 minutes, you can feel the padding. There's like three musical montages focusing on Jack trying to figure out what makes Christmas tick. As much as I love the character of Sally, the romance with Jack seems very much tacked on just for the sake of having a romantic subplot. Same thing with Oogie Boogie. It seems like he was just thrown in there because they're like, oh, we need to have a villain so we can have this gigantic action showdown. So they throw Oogie Boogie in there. But what can I say? It's got an amazing visual style, haunting songs, and I still love this movie to this very day. It is truly a cult classic. Fishing in the Discount Bin, brought to you by RentMoviesOnline.com. Is going down to the video store too much social interaction for you? RentMoviesOnline.com. There we go, my fishing in the discount bin for The Nightmare Before Christmas. Dude, I still love that movie. Uh, we're coming about to the end of uh, this week's Halloween show, and you know, uh, just remembering my friend there and wanting to, to reflect on my Halloween's past, it's just, I'm reminded of the last time I actually went out in costume for Halloween. So there it was, uh, in 2002, as you know, I was teaching English in Japan, right? And uh, Halloween was rolling around, and it was pretty much ordered by our bosses that we had to dress up in costume for Halloween, you know, in order to uh, give our students a full sampling of the North American Halloween traditions. So immediately I started thinking, okay, I'm in Japan. Japan is the home of anime. I watch a lot of Sailor Moon. I should dress up as Tuxedo Mask. That would be so awesome. But of course, that plan ran into a hitch because no one I worked with knew where in Japan I could rent a tuxedo. So that idea fell by the wayside. One year later, I was back in Canada. I was going to Nate studying to be in radio. Halloween was rolling around. A lot of my classmates were starting to talk about dressing up in costume for Halloween. And that's when everything finally clicked in my mind. I was like, oh, why didn't I think of this when I was in Japan? I finally know how I can dress up as tuxedo mask. So I threw on my suit, my regular business attire. I eschewed my necktie and instead put on a bow tie. Yes, I owned a bow tie because as everyone knows, Bow ties are cool. 
And then just one block away from the Nate campus is a Value Village. So I went to Value Village during one of my spares one day, and for five bucks I got the top hat, cape, and cane. I was just about ready to go, but as we know, what sells the tuxedo mask costume is the mask. So I just went down to the dollar store, got some white poster board, made the mask out of the uh, poster board, and just taped that over top of my glasses. Boom! I was Tuxedo Mask. Of course, I wasn't ready to win any cosplay competitions or anything like that, but it filled the bill. And that was the last time to date that I've gone out in costume on Halloween. I keep threatening that one of these years I'm going to go as Arthur Dent from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because, hey, all you need for that costume is pajamas and a bathrobe and a copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide and your set. But anyway, uh, this about brings us to the end of uh, my Halloween show for this year. Oh, sounds like we got uh, one last trick-or-treater here. Let me go to the door. Wow. I gotta say, that is one of the sexiest Supergirl costumes I have ever seen. How old are you? 24, you say. Home from grad school, you say, for Halloween. Hmm, can I buy you a drink? Awesome. Well, I just gotta finish up uh, what I'm doing here. Can you hold on for about five minutes? Thank you very much. All right, folks, it seems my high-priced call girl is here, so I am getting ready to wrap this up for another Halloween. Don't forget to check out every facet of my empire online. You can follow me on Twitter, chaosinabox.com slash Twitter. You can uh, read my blog, chaosinabox.blogspot.com. And don't forget the main hub for it all, chaosinabox.com. I am Mark Kathis. This has been the Targ. Happy Halloween! of another exciting episode of The Targ. Don't forget you can download a new episode of The Targ every week at chaosinabox.com. The Targ is written and produced by Mark Kappas under the watchful eye of 42 Star Wars action figures. The Targ is a Chaos in a Box production. <laughs>